Good morning. Um, I'm thankful for the opportunity, opportunity to introduce Jeff Rayford to you today. Um, Jeff has been a literal answer to prayers with the planting of Christ Redeemer Church in Jonesboro. By the way of background, Tasha and I had the opportunity to move to Jonesboro in the fall of 2014 and struggled with the fact that the nearest PCA church was over an hour away in Memphis. While Jonesboro is a city full of churches, uh, the spiritual landscape is dominated by man-centered cultural Christianity. As we joined other like-minded believers to pray for God to bring the right church planner to our city, it became clear Jonesboro held a great opportunity but would require a unique individual to fit the culture of Northeast Arkansas. Jeff has been able to seize that opportunity and has proven to be the perfect fit. As a native of the Mississippi Delta and veteran church planner from his time in Atlanta, Jeff has been able to engage the community spiritually while bringing the practical knowledge necessary to build the church with a strong foundation. From small groups to the baptism of our youngest daughter, I've experienced Jeff's passions for discipleship and pastoral, excuse me, pastoral care firsthand. With Christ Redeemer's growth uh, from a small core group into a functioning church within a, with weekly services in its first year, it appears to be poised to become the successful PCA church plant that many in the community of Jonesboro doubted would ever come to pass. It's humbling now to return to Jonesboro and to see how God has continued to grow and bless Christ Redeemer. Um, I'm excited just to see how the bonds of the PCA churches here in Arkansas continue to grow and appreciate Jeff for traveling all the way down here. I know that two hour drive all too well um, to share God's word with us. Thank you. This is an epic lectern. You guys need to try this. It's worth a two-hour drive. Uh, it's also a great opportunity to wear a bow tie. They make fun of me in Jonesboro when I do, so that's also a good thing, too. Uh, I'm going to have to bring William with me everywhere I go. Uh, I wish a third of that um, I lived as well as he makes it sound. Um, sometimes when you're in it, you don't, you don't see it like that. But God has uh, blessed us in Jonesboro, and it's been a privilege to be there. Like he said, I grew up in Greenwood, Mississippi. My dad is from Camden, Arkansas, uh, and so we have roots here, or at least I have roots here in the Delta. And it's so great to be with you here and to know that we have other churches. I was just praying with a pastor here this morning of just how awesome it is and what a privilege it is to have brothers and fathers who are around to help coach me and lead me and direct me and pastor me and for us to pastor one another and pray for each other and support each other. Uh, and so I'm very thankful to be here and uh, with you all and share God's word this morning. It's quite humbling. I've brought my family with me, my wife Lori and my three boys and one on the way due in June, which is the first girl of our uh, three boys. And so if you want to open your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Matthew 13 this morning, verse 44. And I'll read it for us in just a minute. 
If you know anything about this section of Matthew, Jesus is in the middle of sharing multiple parables with the crowds. And if you aren't familiar with what a parable is, it's a story really used to illustrate and share a truth or a message. And in these parables, Jesus is ultimately describing what the kingdom of heaven is like. All throughout Jesus' ministry, he had a hard time at times helping people to see beyond what was right in front of them. They constantly misunderstood both his intentions and what he was doing and what the kingdom of God was like. Even those closest to him, his disciples, thought that Jesus was merely there to establish an earthly kingdom and squash all enemies and overthrow the Roman establishment. Jesus is constantly trying to teach them that the kingdom is more than what you can see around you. And if there's an illustration, it's of one who's uh, a father kind of picking up the, the chin of his son or his child to look beyond the ground and look up. And Jesus constantly does that with these parables, is to ask his people to fix not their eyes on what can be seen, but what is beyond, to stop focusing merely on temporal things that are around us. And begin to set our focus on eternal things that God is building in the hearts of his people. It's an awesome reality hidden from some, but for those who have been granted the eyes to see, it restores our hope, it strengthens our faith. So I'm going to read Matthew 13, verse 44, the parable of the hidden treasure for us now. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, may you bless the reading of your word. May it speak to us. Father, where our eyes are blind, let us see. Where our ears are deaf, Let us hear. Where we have lacked action, put us in motion. For your glory and honor, we pray. Amen. I want to take just a moment to unpack this short passage for us, this short parable, and then hopefully bring some perspective as well as perhaps some application for us this morning. Um, It's a very brief but powerful story. Keep in mind there's a tendency with parables of this nature to study them and overanalyze the details. In this parable, Jesus is not suggesting to us that the kingdom of God can in any way be bought or even found on our own apart from God. If you like to take notes uh, and you want to point, kind of hang the message this morning, I have one point. So if you're ready for it, here it comes. If the kingdom of God costs you everything you accumulate on this earth, it's worth it. If the kingdom of God takes everything that you've accumulated while here on earth, it's worth it. See, without Christ, we're unable to discern what true riches even are and would just be toiling away endlessly in a field, completely unaware of the treasures that lie right beneath our feet. Only in Christ 
Are we given eyes to see the importance and the value of the kingdom for what it truly is? And then given the strength to leave behind everything that we have to follow after him. Let's dive into the parable this morning. So it's not every day that someone discovers vast sums of wealth in an otherwise meaningless field. We see a day worker here tending someone else's field, and probably the last thing on his mind is treasure, yet he stumbles upon it. In his joy, immediately makes the decision to sell everything his own, that he owns to possess the land and the treasure that lies beneath it. Some historical perspective, at this time there are no banks so oftentimes you would have people who left on a journey and rather than store them in other places, they would simply bury them, never to return for them. So unclaimed fortunes would at times lay in wait. The laws at the time favored kind of a finder's keepers sort of rule. So finding it, he had some legal claim to it. But just to be sure that he couldn't be cheated out of his claim or that one wouldn't come and challenge it, he bought the entire piece of property, an extra step in security. A couple of observations from this text for us this morning. In this text, we see the value of the kingdom compared to everything else in a person's life. It's a no-brainer investment, the loss of everything to gain something of far, far more value. And with that, there's an instant return. It's, it's kind of like Clark says, the gift that keeps giving all year long. In this man's case, it's his whole life. Studying this passage has brought to mind and, and caused me to reflect a bit of how I first understood Christ in this manner and what he had done for me. I remember sitting in service as a good Southern Baptist in Greenwood, Mississippi, coming every Sunday and attending every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night Bible study and listening every time the preacher opened his mouth. And I often remember stories, great historic stories about following God and somehow this image of what it meant to follow God meant living in a mud hut in Africa. And you can imagine as a young child who was very set in his ways and set in his place to, to think of leaving everything that you own to go and follow and live in a mud hut in Africa. How scary that might have been, the kind of anxiety that that brought over me at times as I read about extraordinary acts of bravery and self-denial for the kingdom of God and assumed in my own life anything short of doing something that significant made me somehow a second-class citizen in the kingdom of heaven. In Philippians 3, we see Paul's example here. Paul kind of lays out his testimony, his resume, if you will, and he talks about all that he had gained, all the knowledge and all the strength in the world's eyes as far as in the church and the zeal for which he had for that. But then picking up in verse 7 of chapter 3, but whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish as our confession said earlier in order that I may gain Christ. Here is the guy 
of the New Testament, saying he spent a lifetime building his spiritual resume. And if you remember the story, his resume left him as an enemy of the church, an enemy of Christ. But after seeing Jesus and being confronted with his sin on the road to Damascus, Paul comes to the conclusion that everything he had done to that point was nothing. Rubbish. All he wants is to know Christ. And this brought a striking thought to me in my heart as a young, growing Christian. Who I am isn't measured by what I get done. I still think about that statement and I still need to hear it on a regular basis. So for those who, like me and like Paul, were locked in some sort of legalism, moralism, I needed to hear that, that who I am is not locked into what I do and what I get done. It's put in the person of Christ himself and what he's done for me. What a relief. What a relief for me. That every worker in the kingdom of God isn't necessarily some mythical superhero. I once imagined, but, but all have value and purpose because they are called by the king himself. Given that value and given that purpose in him. Multiple times in this journey of leaving uh, Georgia to move to Arkansas, Lori, have found, Lori and I have found ourselves asking the question, how did we get here? I mean, it really hasn't been that long. And so, so much has happened so quickly that, that we often honestly, I mean, when I think about, even when he says Reverend Rayford, I still look around like some lost relative that I've never met is going to come and sit in this pulpit and speak the word of God. I feel like a volunteer who said yes too many times and all of a sudden found himself here. I feel outclassed, ill-equipped to be part of the church, let alone help lead one. When I think back on it, not that long ago, we were deeply committed to helping build a church in Georgia with a group of people we dearly loved. And we were given a short sabbatical to pull away and pray after about seven years of working. And on that sabbatical, the next thing you know, God is leading us to a comparatively tiny town in northeastern Arkansas, a town that we had never been to, to do a job we had never done. And trust me when I say this, I know that there are people who accomplish great things. I don't feel like we gave up a lot. I mean, I go from place to place in Jonesboro, and everybody still pretty much speaks some version of English, or at least one that I'm familiar with. When I go to a restaurant and I order tea, it's still sugar water with a little bit of tea and not the other way around. So I feel very familiar, I feel very comfortable in the area, and I know kind of the culture and the place, as William was alluding to. But I'm here to witness to you this morning that in a town in northeastern Arkansas, God is on the move. God is working in the hearts of his people. He's drawing them to himself. He's growing them up. He's growing up everyone to know him better and to work in his kingdom and to build it. The weird thing is, I've spent the night in a mud hut in Africa. 
So part of that fear came true. I've been to the slums of India and I've worked with people who are trying to get out of the caste system simply by learning to read. And I've been to other parts in the world and seen great advances in the kingdom and great work. And believe me, God had his chance to call me there. And I probably would have said yes just because of the, the things that I experienced there and the movement of God I saw there. And yet here I find myself. I know that he calls some people to go to places like that. But for many of us, the where may look a lot like the place you grew up in. And your what may look a lot like teacher, attorney, mom, dad, accountant, garbage collector, public servant, food services, perhaps not the prototypical part of gospel ministry that you were expecting or I expected as a young, as a young kid. But let me tell you, it's through these that God is building his kingdom. As I sit here today and preach a year into our church plant, God has brought a wealth of leadership to lead the church while I'm away. And I feel great confidence in the people God has called them to be and the work that they called him to do. And maybe the surprise of all of this in a very short amount of time was what I didn't expect was that God would call other people. Somehow I felt like Lori and I were missionaries and we were called to start something that wasn't already working and yet we move into town and there are six people there to unpack the truck. People of great character and people of great reliance on the Holy Spirit of God and in their hearts the same vision for the same church. And so we leave it in their hands this morning and give them an opportunity along with other people to serve and work with the people of Jonesboro who will come this morning. It's possible that we could read this passage and like me, focus on what he did and where he went and miss out on something very key in this passage. When this man came across the treasure, he knew what it was. He was ready for it. And not only that, Joy overcame him quickly as he anticipated something like this. And so when he found it, he knew what to do. He knew the surpassing value of it. And in joy, he sprung into action. It brings me to the conclusion that real workers in the kingdom of God, that God is using every day to bring the kingdom to earth here in Jonesboro and all over the world, don't parade around like mythical superheroes. Most are actually a ragtag group of broken individuals that once were toiling away in a useless field, searching everywhere for peace and hope and purpose, but only in Christ, Christ being rich in mercy he extended to us the free gift of his grace. And along with it, we've been gifted the very spirit of God. Who opens our eyes to distinguish true riches. Who opens our minds to know what to do with them. Who gives us new hearts. Able to lay aside whatever we've built for ourselves and follow after God in obedience 
for whatever and wherever he would call you to go and to do whatever he's called you to do. I rest in the fact that his plans are perfect. But only in Christ can we fully realize our purpose. What's clear in this parable is the superlative value of the kingdom. If gaining the kingdom of God costs you everything, it's worth it. In this parable, we see those who have kingdom-focused eyes distinguishing true riches and have found the joy of heart to jump at the opportunity, giving up everything that they know for what is most important. So how do we apply a passage like this? I remember hearing messages like this, like I alluded earlier, extraordinary stories of bravery and great sacrifice and those selling possessions and moving far away to distant lands to follow after God. And while at the time it brought fear and anxiety because I didn't want to leave behind everything I knew, selling everything seemed radical and excessive. But it's a funny thing, the more that I found myself in God's word, and around God's people, the more I came to understand the depths of my sin and my rebellion against God. But even greater still, the love that sought me in that rebellion, the love that sought me in my sin, in spite of it all. And I have fallen more deeply in love with Christ. It's not that things in this life don't that aren't important to me anymore. But like Paul says in Philippians 3, it's the surpassing value of the kingdom that overshadows all other things, making them almost insignificant. I'd like to end this morning with a story that I came across. I actually met this girl at a conference. Katie Davis was still in high school when she visited Uganda for the first time on a three-week mission trip. Upon graduating high school, she moved to Uganda with a program to help teach kindergarten for a year. In the middle of her first year teaching kindergarten by herself in the middle of Uganda, a recently graduated high school student, she found herself in a hospital with a choice to make. You see, three kids that she had been working with had been injured when the shack that they called home had collapsed on them. And they sat in a Ugandan hospital, not being treated for their wounds or injuries because in order to treat them, someone had to claim them. And so this young girl recently graduated from high school, not only claimed them, but eventually adopted them. This completely changed her life as she, after a year went by, left. No, she didn't leave. She stayed in Uganda, and Uganda became home, and these children became daughters and sons, more that she would adopt, an orphanage she would start. She would continue to educate and help Katie didn't have a degree in early childhood education when she left 
for Uganda to teach kindergarten. She had never been a mom when she was in that hospital and she took responsibility and she gained children. I asked myself this question when I heard her speak the first time and even to this day, what possesses a young girl to leave behind everything without training or experience and commit herself to a country and a people that she barely knows? To dive headfirst into a situation not fully considering the depths of the water. I come to one and only conclusion. Christ. It's Christ. Only in Christ. In and of ourselves we are destined to think of a number one, ourselves. Even our worldly service to others. We're unable to move our selfish ambition from it. Only in Christ can we be filled with a love that is necessary, that goes beyond all earthly measure and amount. And it's our calling, in essence, in this life and ultimately the next to continually unpack this treasure that we've been given in Christ, to continually discover that it has no bottom. As we do, we more deeply realize and understand how much we've been given. The endless supply that comes from it. And like a cup that is filled to capacity, it can't help but overflow into the others that are around you. The question for me and us this morning is, have you found the treasure that is in Christ? Have you begun to unpack this treasure by putting yourself around others to help you grow in its knowledge and obedience as we trust Christ alone for our strength. If you're like me and you find yourself focusing on filling your cup, gaining knowledge, and less in practicing the things that we're learning, understand this, we were designed to pour into others. We can take on a lot, of, it can take on a lot of different forms how we pour into others, but ultimately it always means losing something in order to gain something else, as we see in this parable. If the kingdom of God costs you everything that you accumulate on this earth, it's worth it. Would you pray with me? Father, I find myself even this week in conversations I've had and conversations I was having last night with a gentleman fearful of your, uh, your ability to come and be enough, your ability to stay in front of me, leading your people, leading me fearful of finding myself alone. And so God, I would ask even in those times that you would make yourself real and, and I understand that by your word and your promises that you cannot 
you cannot break them. That you are with us. You will not forsake us. That you lead us beside still waters. You provide for us as only you can. That frees us this morning to ask hard questions about ways in which we potentially have not seen and not heard and maybe are aware but have not moved. And so, Father, I pray by your grace and your strength, you would take us from where we are and bring us to where we're going. That we may see as you see all that you have for us. Do not leave us like we are. Sanctify us in your truth. Your word is truth for us. Guide us lovingly and graciously. Break us if necessary. That we may love you and honor you. And may jump into your, your mission that you have given to us while we are here. As ambassadors, wherever we are, wherever you have called us. And it's in your holy son's name who goes before us in triumphant procession, Christ himself, that we pray these things. Amen.